0: This is an ABC podcast. The wishful thinking of the Labour Party. A shameful and pathetic attempt. This government is a government of cronies and donors. How good are tax cuts, Mr. Speaker? Chaos, confusion, dysfunction. That is such a bubble question. I'm just going to leave that one in the bubble.
1: Hello and welcome to The Party Room. I'm Fran Kelly from Insiders. And I'm Patricia Carvelis from RN Drive. Fran, how are you? I'm terrific. Thank you, PK. There is... Things are really heating up around this place again, aren't they? And uh, we're going to talk... Malcolm Farr's coming in later. I'm going to be talking to him about the unfolding situation about the government MP, Gladys Liu. But before we do that, I think we should talk about the dynamic between the two major parties at the moment because it kind of looks... If you look at it closely, Labor's on the ropes. And I think what is happening here is that's what Scott Morrison is trying to do, keep them there. Labor's been saying privately, look, all the government's trying to do with its legislation is drum up things that will be difficult for Labor, will wedge Labor. And that's what they've been doing on a whole range of things. And it is causing tensions within Labor caucus. We keep hearing of the caucus briefings that there's been arguments over different elements, cashless welfare and um, vegan activists and tax cuts also.
2: It is a huge issue for Labor and Labor is dealing with it bill by bill. In fact, um, on this issue of wedging Labor, which as as we just demonstrated there, the Prime Minister has been pretty upfront about really. I think it was uh, actually Anthony Albanese who referred to it in Parliament in question time as legislation. When will the government introduce the Commonwealth Integrity Commission legislation? if they stop concentrating on
0: wedge legislation and actually did their job they might be better off
2: wedge legislation oh, it? yeah. that. yeah. it's a zinger bum, bum. Uh, it's the it's a, one of the first elbow zingers i've heard but either way he's right there is all these you know very active tests on labor the way labor is responding at this stage is case by case right in the case of the farm vegan terrorists this week they made the determination that again they'll do the old push for amendments, if they don't win those amendments, unlikely to, that ultimately they'll vote for it. You know, it was actually Bill Shorten that said to me in an interview this week, we're not going to get wedged on farmers. We're not going to be painted as being anti-farmer. So that's how they've dealt with that one. Michael McCormick had a good
1: go at that in question time, though, this week. He had a little bit of a meltdown, didn't he? He certainly did. He went
0: feral. I don't don't know why you're yelling so much. This is helping all country communities, Member for Hunter. It's time you came to the table and just behaved yourself occasionally. are country people... And you won't, you won't ever stop yelling out at them. You should behave yourself. You're a disgrace.
1: You're Deputy disgrace Prime Minister and you will you resume
0: his seat. Deputy Prime Minister will resume his seat. Yeah. Over,
1: it. over, not much that I could see.
2: It was, it was a little odd. So that one, they park there. They've decided though to draw a line in the sand over one issue, which is the drug testing of welfare recipients. So on some things. They have decided to stand
1: firm. And, and on the union bill, the ensuring integrity bill. And that's very clear for them because that's their constituency and that's what Anthony Albanese, that reference to, you know, we're not a party of vegan activists, is what he said in the par- in the caucus room that under his leadership, Labor's not going to go to the wire for that bill, but they will for the
2: union bill. So the idea that they're our base, they're our people, you know, we are linked to the industrial unions, that's what we are, and, you know, not moving away from that, but on greenies or, you know, f- Well, whatever. which is
1: risky, isn't it? Because, of course, their left flank is is prey to the greenies and Anthony Albanese in his own seat um, has had to fight that off. So come election time, there's always some difficult balancing acts for Labor to do around these sort of progressive issues that might be, as you say, green issues and their more traditional base. And they got in trouble with that over coal in the last election. They did. The other one where they decided
2: again to push for amendments but then ultimately vote for the bill was the pedophile legislation. Um, Legislation, mandatory mm. sentencing. Labor wants to raise objections to mandatory sentencing. They say it's not the best way forward. But again, they're not going to stand in the way of this bill either. So that's where they've been strategic. But in the party room going to that issue, you had Kim Carr, for instance, saying, you know, we're capitulating. That's the language he used in the party room. He was pretty quickly smacked down by Penny Wong, who said, hang on a minute, this isn't capitulating. That's the language of the Greens. That's what the Greens try to paint us as doing. And we need to actually draw the line and not fall into that role that the Greens are trying to paint them in. And the Greens are, interestingly, testing them on issues. On the climate emergency this week and and an emotion around that, the Greens are trying to, you know, push Labor. I've always been a little critical of the way the Greens do this. It's like, hang on a minute, Labor's not in power, but they're they're always talking about Labor. No, they're
1: trying to get their voters, as I say, Labor is vulnerable on the left flank as it is on the right flank, and that's been uh, only getting more and more pronounced over the last... Three elections really hasn't
2: it? It is so you know what's happened for the government this week. I think the emergence of Jackie Lambie has been fascinating. She's been
1: on fire. It
2: it was kind of been the Jackie Lambie show this week before it became the Gladys Lou show, which we will come
1: to. I have to say, PK, I mean, Jackie Lambie sort of emerged out of the blocks on Monday morning and she didn't interview with John Fane. That was a cracker. She went through to Sky by the time she got to talking to you on RN Drive, she was unleashed. It was one of the most interesting, fascinating interviews I've heard for a long time. It was an amazing interview. Here's here's a
2: bit of it. If you are receiving money from the public purse, whether you're a politician, whether you're a a public bureaucrat, whether you're a teacher out there, why aren't you getting random drug, drug and alcohol testing? So what you're going to inflict on others, you should inflict on yourself and lead by example. What is wrong with them? So there she is, drawing the line on drug testing. Essentially, the government did end up offering ten million dollars for rehabilitation for two positive drug tests, but still, none of this is good enough for Jackie Lambie, and as that was she demonstrated bit, I, there.
1: I think that probably caught the government a bit by surprise. I think they thought they had Jackie Lambie in their corner on this because she's been very outspoken about drugs. Her own son, she laid it out in the public record. Got in trouble with ICE, and she had to took her a long time to find um, rehab clinic for him and that was a long process. But interestingly, it's that experience that's making her at the moment stand up and say, no, until you provide these places, I'm not going to pass this because it's meaningless. People just don't go in and get off drugs in three months. You need to have really solid, good rehab options for them and until you fund that. So I think the government thinks this, they're still talking to Jackie Lambie. I think they think they might get her around on this, but boy, she was really... Adamant when she spoke with you. Very adamant. So we've heard that the Senate is more friendly
2: to the government. I think broadly that's still true. I'm not going to depart from that. Big time, but I do think Jackie Lambie is going to play hardball more than we thought she would.
1: Well, she's told us. She said. No, she has told us. She said I'm going to get more for my vote next time because she passed the government's tax bill and then just last week announced that she'd got this money, 157 million dollars, I think it is, for housing, public housing in Tasmania, and she came right out and said that's a trade off. And she said, and I went too cheap, and I'm I'm going to do more. But I think we can talk about that a bit further with Malcolm. <laughs> Malcolm Farr, national political editor at News.com. Welcome to the party room, Mal. Thank you, ma'am. Now, Malcolm Farr, Liberal
2: backbencher Gladys Liu, made headlines this week after an interview, now infamous really, on Sky News, on the Bolt Report, in which she faced a grilling over China's military expansion in the South China Sea, lots of questions about herself. She also said on the program that she couldn't recall being part of the Guangdong Overseas Exchange Association, an organisation with very clear links to China's foreign interference operations, and then less than 24 hours later, she released a statement where all of a sudden she did recall it and even said that she was going to do an audit of further roles she may have. How is this playing out for the government?
0: Well, first off, I think we should acknowledge that the description de jure of that interview is clumsy. They seek to smear an Australian of Chinese heritage simply for the fact that she did a clumsy interview. That's what the Prime Minister said on several occasions... Clumsy. Not clumsy. He didn't say clumsy. train
2: wreck, worst moment N- for the government? No, no
0: just no, clumsy. No. He was very disciplined, he just uh, stuck to clumsy and, of course, uh, grubby smear. He repeated both terms several times. This has a very grubby undertone in terms of the smear that is being placed on Gladys Liu. And I think people should reflect very carefully in the way they've sought to attack Gladys over this matter. And the broader, the broader smear that I think that is implied in that. Look, I I think there is room for uh, inquiry here. I'm not talking about an official inquiry or a formal inquiry. But if you have uh, a former prime minister who was advised by security agencies not to attend a function because of the presence of associates of uh, Ms. Lou being there, and uh, Malcolm Turnbull then boycotted that function, I think it's fair enough to ask who exactly those associates are and how closely aligned to them uh, she has been or is. Now, Scott Morrison says that in terms of... uh, He's indicated, hinted, that in terms of uh, security briefings, he has nothing that concerns him on his desk. But... I don't think that means uh, that questions shouldn't be asked, particularly, as you say, um, during the, the clumsy interview, uh, Ms Liu uh, didn't seem to uh, recognise that she'd been a, a member of an organisation for 12 years. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that's that, Just clumsy. Well, yeah, you might accidentally... Uh, turn up on a Facebook group but uh, you know t- to spend 12 years on a, a quite a prominent organization without knowing it uh, that, that that that's that is as you say sort of clumsy
1: I think it that I mean in, in a way that makes sense to me and this is the line that Christian Porter and the and the Prime minister are both running in that there are a number of community organizations and anyone with any prominence in the Chinese Australian community would be a member of those organizations almost by default because that's what you do. I kind—I accept that. But up until a point, and certainly since 2015-16, and certainly since 2018, when you mentioned, Malcolm, that uh, the security agencies advised then Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull not to go to an event uh, with Gladys Liu because of some of the people who were invited, um, I think it was high time that political parties looked at the organisations a bit more closely and looked at the associations of their political candidates, if not the sitting members, with those associations. So for for Christian Porter, and I mean, this is what he said in the Parliament, he said, you know, all Chinese Australians have natural associations with these Chinese organisations and, you know, you can't say that as a result of that they're not a fit and proper person. Well, I think it is precisely what now is being start to be said that these organisations that everyone's apparently a member of are in fact linked to China's efforts to spread its influence in other countries and that is a problem within our foreign interference laws, isn't it? So I think while it's fair to say that a lot of people will be members of this and it was no big deal, now the rules have changed and it was the coalition government that changed the rules and therefore it doesn't make sense that they didn't vet uh, these associations with Gladys Liu before I, I, either she was pre-selected or elected, isn't that it?
0: Look, I, I think so. But she she would not have been made a member of uh, some of these groups, or she wouldn't have joined these groups, if the group didn't think she would be of uh, of assistance to their ultimate aims, and if she didn't think the groups would would assist her political ambitions. Now. Uh, At some point, I think it's valid to ask, when do those two factors intersect? How much did her political ambitions go towards assisting these groups in their ultimate objective, which we are told... Uh, in some cases was, was spreading Chinese influence through Australian politics. Uh, and yeah you know, I thought Christian Porter gave a very, um, a very solid uh, reading of the issues, uh, as you pointed out. Uh, Prime Minister Morrison of course uh, just went that bit too much. He was calling um, Ms. Liu a great Australian. He went overboard, I would suggest, in rejecting basic curiosity about her past mm. and her past membership of groups.
2: Yeah, look, that language he you used, you're right, was pretty strong. How she's good is Gladys? Yeah, she's point she's out. a great <laughs> Australian. But this is what I think is key. And this is where we're now having a debate about potential racism in this debate. And I'll tell you why. He says there is... 1.2 million Australians of Chinese heritage in this country. This has a very grubby undertone in terms of the smear that is being placed on Gladys Liu, and I think people should reflect very carefully in the way they have sought to attack Gladys over this matter and the broader smear that I think is implied in that to over 1 million Australians. Mm. And now, I mean,
1: and, and when I heard that, I thought, well, is it different to the, is that, that I mean, there's a grubby undertone to all the debate we've been having about campuses and foreign students on campuses and Chinese students on campuses, because certainly I've heard from vice chancellors that their student population is feeling like it's about them and they're feeling uncomfortable about that. And that is the, it's the problem with these issues, China and China's rising assertiveness and power and influence is being felt almost every area of our politic at the moment, it would seem. So when is it racist? When is it not? When is it just prudent? And you know, what do you think?
0: Well, well the Prime Minister boasted uh, in that press conference that it was his government that it had introduced laws uh, curbing uh, uh, foreign interference in our, in our political system. Uh, he was saying that was a pretty good thing. Well, you know, China's a foreign country. Uh, does that mean that he's uh, uh, um, casting slurs at uh, uh, the people from China who live in Australia, the people who were born in China who, who, who live in Australia? I'm sure he'd say, he'd say he wasn't. Truly, you, you can address an individual without casting aspersions on an entire ethnic group. And the other
2: fear I, I have is that if this is brought into the debate, you can't write, oh no, no, you've got to be careful about this. Hang on a minute. If we're dealing with what is the Chinese government, the Chinese Communist Party's interference, you don't want our politicians, our experts, our agencies to be muted in any
1: way. No, you don't. And, I mean, that is a problem because the China Chinese government, the Chinese Communist Party is connected to pretty much everyone. I mean, that's it. It doesn't always mean it's sinister but what if it is and therefore we have to have boundaries in place and that goes to things, doesn't it, like political donations? I mean, surely the point of intersection is what influence has been carried here? Has Gladys Liu taken donations from people and it takes us back to the donation laws? We wouldn't know because unless it's less than $14,000, no one has to declare it. So, for all we know, there's it's awash with donations from you know, foreign influence, but we don't know. And that takes it back to that problem, I think. So, so bringing it back to what happens next, right, Malcolm? PM, he's
2: right behind her, uh, using the str- the strongest language, I think, really, and, and raising this issue of, you know, he didn't use the R word, racist, but that's really what he was Grubby. implying, right? Grubby, that clearly mm. her background, her cultural background, has been at the centre of this. Now, you know, Labor ra- set up a test this week. They said... Sam Dastiari went so should basically she should have the same test applied. This is a test for Scott Morrison. Scott Morrison has suggested the Sam Dastiari matter is very different. Malcolm Farr, is it?
0: Yes, I don't think you can you can play any equivalence game here. I mean, there are no parallels apart from the Chinese presence. I mean, the the Dastyari business, as the Prime Minister says, was pretty cut and dried. There he was on video, uh, uh, proclaiming um, the, the the Beijing view. On an issue which which clashed with his own party's view, uh, and he you know he, he claimed expenses uh, from his uh, his Chinese benefactors. Nothing like that has been laid at the feet of, of Ms. Liu. Entirely different circumstances. This is uh, something so different that uh, it really you have to start again to look at what what's been happening mm. with these organisations.
1: Malcolm, the other issue that's been playing out in federal political arena this week is Labor's internal tensions, not just what went wrong, but what kind of party will they be and how do they prevent themselves being wedged by the government and still re- um, stay true to their base, but then who is their base? They've got some really hard talking that's been going on already and more to be done, I think, haven't they?
0: Oh, yeah. Look, look I, think, I think in the end, has been pretty obvious uh, since May 18, the reasons for Labor's defeat was that it overloaded the policy promises and had a, a dud leader. You know, it doesn't get much more complicated than that, but leave it up to Labor to uh, turn it into some sort of civil war. Uh, and you had Wayne Swan arguing that the tax package and the, the objectives of that tax passage, which was to, he argued, to equalise the tax burden on a whole stack of people, was valid and should be maintained, as should the climate change policy. Uh, he, he says that uh, Labor will be vindicated by history on that and that the party has taken one for <laughs> the cause of history. And then you have Mark Butler, who was Mr Climate Change himself. Uh, uh, saying, well, come on, we've got to ease off here. This will be um, you know, trumpeted as uh, Labor divisions. I think it's just a debate that's going on, but it's not helpful to Anthony Albanese, who according to many critics, has just been you know, sitting back in in uh, glum in activity uh, uh, since, uh, since he assumed the, the leadership after the election. There's been nothing bright and, and beautiful coming from Labor. There's been a lot of effort over some, uh, what you know, compared to uh, tax and other, some fringe issues that have been bedeviling Labour when, when it should be just something they could uh, flick off casually. Labour is in deep problems mm. uh, in terms of its uh, identity and its value in opposition, it's going to have to pick up its skirts soon and do something uh, of greater substance.
2: And, of course, the government's been having uh, a difficult week, I think, on this issue around the bushfires we've seen in New South Wales and also Queensland. David Littleproud had a few uncomfortable moments this week. Uh, You know, there were a few moments of this, but one of them was on RM Breakfast but also on Sky News where he said he didn't know you know, whether climate change was man-made or not. Now, Malcolm, pretty unhelpful, isn't it, given I think, do you tell me if I missed it somehow, but that... The Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, actually pivoted pre-election, uh, established that he does believe climate change is man-made and real, certainly didn't want to be as ambitious as Labor in terms of how to tackle climate change, but didn't deny its existence. And that's why he endorsed, you know, Snowy 2.0 and, right, the and Tasmanian hydro, right? What's David Littleproud doing?
0: I guess he's looking at his constituency, which is still suspicious about these uh, uh, newfangled concept of uh, climate change and the fact that uh, human beings... Are contributing to it. Uh, I think he said in one of those interviews that uh, the the, uh, the human contribution w- was irrelevant. No, it's not. If you accept the science of climate change, it's integral. It's not irrelevant. Uh, but he couldn't bring himself to, to say that. I assume that, uh, you know, the good folks of Warwick and uh, the rest of his electorate uh, mightn't have been too impressed had he been too enthusiastic about the full climate change... Oh, yeah, uh, uh, but- and,
1: But haven't we passed that point yet? I mean, where you have to actually not even go so far as to say, I accept the science, the science is settled. Surely the people of Warwick accept the science is settled. It's about what governments do about it rather than just still trying to hedge their bets about whether humans are having an impact, surely.
0: Well, well I, I think so. And, and, look, may I just intervene here and say that Warwick is a terrific place. It's where I was born. So ah, I, I'm sure uh, it is. <laughs> Hats <laughs> off to the people a, of Warwick,
1: the good burgers. It's a
0: one, and Warwick-based hospital, I'm sure, has a small plaque there with my number. Look, um, yeah, I, I, I would have thought that, you know, questioning uh, the science was uh, long ago settled and it was the response to the problem that was the, uh, the, the, the principal debate, not whether there was a problem at all. Well,
2: Scott Morrison, the Guardian's reporting, is not going to be attending the UN Climate Action Summit. Um, I think he's deploying the Foreign Minister, Maurice Payne, but it just shows, doesn't it, that there is an issue around the way that they're managing this. And clearly the Prime Minister doesn't want to be at that forum. I suppose Australia doesn't
0: have much to offer
1: in that space. Well, he's got not much to offer and he doesn't want to attract criticism, I think, in that kind of forum. Wouldn't that be it, Malcolm?
0: Oh, well, look, hang on a minute. Uh, he said that we're meeting our emissions targets at a canter, although figures don't tell that same story. Uh, he must be looking at another set of figures. Do you, I, you reckon he should be I
1: galloping th- into that meeting?
0: I, I, well, you know, doing things for the United Nations is very sus uh, for some members of the Liberal base, and, and climate change just uh, accentuates that susness. Uh, I, I, look, I think he, he should attend, but, you know, the foreign minister will be there. That's a very senior representation. But it will raise... Um, the uh, the accusation that Scott Morrison just wants nothing to do uh, w- with the debate on climate change. And uh, he, he's made that clear to some of our Pacific neighbours and now he's uh, telling, essentially, sent such as the accusation, essentially sending that message to the, Uni- uh, the United Nations.
1: Wise words again from Malcolm Farr. Malcolm, thanks for joining us. <laughs>
0: Pleasure, ladies. Thank you. And it's time for Question Time. And
2: our question this week comes from Tracy. She asks, Scott Morrison seems to have got Aussie politics off the front pages. How is he achieving this and how are journalists adjusting to the boredom after 10 years of drama? Well, just first statement from me, I'm not bored.
1: I'm not bored. In fact, you know, given that, and we're back in this frame again, where the government's effectively got a one-seat majority. So already this week we're looking at what if. So I don't think it's going to be that boring. But I do take part of what you say to be absolutely right, Tracy, which is that Scott Morrison wants things to be calm and he's, you know, it's all about being calm and and taking the drama out of it. He says quiet Australians don't want them carrying on like pork chops. They just want to know and think that they're focusing on their issues. I also think the reality is that, and there's surveys to back this up as if we need them, um, most of the Australian population doesn't want to be thinking about politics anymore. They had a gutful of it leading up to the last election. They had a gutful of it in the years between that election and this election because we had all the leadership coups and they just want to stop hearing about it for a while. I'm pretty sure the front pages of the media organisations are reflecting that. What yeah, you
2: think? I think so too. And I think Scott Morrison is smart and has rightly calculated that Australians are sick of the noise and that if he can deliver, you know, stable, coherent, successful government, and it's worth mentioning that he did look at the model of Dan Andrews, for instance, in Victoria and that election victory in Victoria where Dan Andrews was no doubt rewarded for getting on and building stuff, right, being busy, 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 busy work. So John Howard model as well? It's the model of a successful leader who avoids wedge politics, who avoids, you know, being stuck in culture wars and in and in fact, just focuses on a couple of areas and can control the party. That's the other part. The reason politics has been so noisy is that prime ministers have have lacked authority and have not been able to keep people on message. You know, without being on Sky News every two minutes or on the ABC. You know, essentially filling that space. And, and I think and
1: division makes news, right?
2: That's right. And I think that the prime minister has been a little more successful in doing that. Uh, a little more. But, you know, it's too early. And we've seen a bit of drama this week in relation to Gladys Liu and the way they've managed that. That's been back on the front page. <laughs> but ultimately, I think he's been working in that direction. It's kind of working for him. All right. Goodbye, one and all. We'll be back next week, of course, because it'll be the second sitting week. Lots more to talk about. Lots more.
1: And question time, submissions always welcome. We love your questions. Record them if you want. We love your video questions. Tweet them at us, email them to us, the party room at abc.net.au or hashtag the party room. And you know the drill, subscribe, rate, review and recommend. You we... know, someone said that to me the other day. We were having a conversation. They said, you know, the drill, Fran, rate, review, really? subscribe <laughs>
2: is working. <laughs>
1: is we must have been doing this
2: for a while. We must have been. People, uh, hopefully that person reviewed and rated and so forth or you grabbed their phone and reviewed yourself. All right, that's it for the show. See you next week, Fran. See you, PK. <laughs>